Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Welcome to... Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We have finally reached that point. The ceremonial start of the 2022 college tennis season officially upon us as the ITA kickoff weekend scheduled to begin here on Friday. Of course, I'm not sure exactly when you listeners will be hearing this show. If It's before the weekend has finished. Come join us throughout the kickoff weekend as we cover multiple regions happening across the country. Of course, if you are listening to this after the podcast, hopefully you'll join us each and after the kickoff, excuse me, hopefully you'll join us each and every week on our recap shows. We're going to be recapping the Tuesday, uh, the women every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. We're going to be recapping the men every Thursday. I want to say 7 p.m. That time may fluctuate a bit just depending on our guest schedule. But of course, we'll be doing our college tennis shows each and every week, Tuesday, Thursday, live on YouTube. Super producer Daniel Westoff pulling up all the stops to ensure it is the best product. The sort of product that we know college tennis fans have long deserved a weekly show to cover all of the action. We think we've got that for you listeners this season. So hopefully you'll join us throughout the year on our YouTube channel again, every Tuesday for the women, every Thursday for the men, of course, before we get to the kickoff weekend, before we get to our weekly shows, we'll, we'll focus on all the results that happen each and every week. We've got one last thing to do here at Crack Rackets. That's complete our college contenders series, previewing our top 10 men's teams heading into this 2022 college tennis season. Of course, we counted down all the way from number 10 here to our final spot at number one. If you missed any of those episodes, catch them all here on our Great Shot podcast feed. You can read about each team on the men's and women's side on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, Matt Stokowiak, John Parsons writing in depth about all of these teams. You can hear from many of their head coaches as well on our Cracked Interviews podcast. But the one thing you've yet to hear is our thoughts on our preseason number one team. You've yet to find out who our preseason number one team is. So that's the podcast we've got for all of you listeners today. And joining me on our final College Contenders episode of the season are the two men who have helped me steer the ship throughout the course of this College Contenders preview event. Of course, let's start where we always start here on today's show. You know him, of course, as a former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, your favorite writer on our website, CrackRackets.com, the lesser half of the Stokowiak brother duo the after he had his first cancellation in Crack Rackets podcasting history. Welcome back to the show, our friend Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, hey, great shot. I'm getting out the bad intro now so that I have the real one ready to go for the live show. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good with that. That that's yeah. fair. Um, <laughs> no, nah, man. I mean, to be to be honest with you, Gruskin, I'm exhausted, man. I mean, between the Australian Open and just 
work and everything. I mean, there's been a lot going on, but uh, you know, I've, I've always got some energy for some college contenders. It, it's a little bittersweet though, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. the last one. We have to wait another year to do this. Um, I know it's always one of our, our uh, most favorite series. So um, tough, you know, we got to end it here, but uh, I think it's going to be a good show. I'm not sure if he's going to offer a response, but this is one of those rare moments where we have super producer Daniel Westoff on the Zoom feed with us. Hopefully he's listening. He can offer us the quickest of responses. Now, super producer Daniel Westoff, Koyak talks about those late hours. Do you hear me at 3.30 every morning using the ice machine on our refrigerator to put ice in my bottle? Unfortunately, I'm also awake at 3.30 doing these, (laughs) prepping for these shows. So yes, I hear it. Yeah, okay, that's half the fun. And super producer Daniel Westoff, I think that's his Crack Rackets podcast premiere. So maybe that's something we'll start doing. Yeah, on our live shows moving forward, we'll get his takes as well. But yeah, you talk about those late hours. Busy, busy times here at Crack Rackets. The good news is, and this is why we bring him on these shows, our third man, absolutely no chance in the world. He is capable at his age of staying awake to watch all of the action in Australia. Therefore, guaranteeing he is fresh. For today's podcast, of course, he is the third member of our College Tennis Holy Trinity, a man you know best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula predictions, never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for, the five-star getting Liberty Flames, lover of mothers, lover of almond joys, the snitch, the professor, he quotes Henry Ford, the one-shoulder designer, he played college baseball, UTR lower than five, and of course, a post-prime Greg Maddox. It is our friend Chris Halioris. Chris, a great shot. You look well-rested, my friend. I don't even I, I don't even know where that comes from, Gruskin. I was glued to the fifth set of Shapovalov and Nadal. I mean, then I, what time was that? that? Okay, that was at I'm, least four o'clock in the morning. So here's my counterpoint, though. That's because at three thirty a.m. you had to get up to pee, and you were like, "All right, I'm already up. Like, I might as well just stay up and watch the ending of this match." Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but all is well. Are you excited for this weekend? Oh, I'm super excited. I mean, I wish I was getting to join you on the uh, red zone coverage, but you know, I'll be, uh, I'll be making the trip to South Carolina, checking out that regional there. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. All I ask, bring some headphones. We'll have you call in on the zoom on your phone. We'll get the sideline report of what's happening uh, throughout the course of that weekend. It's going to be a fascinating match. Number one for Liberty, but we'll talk about all of that on our kickoff show. Of course, here today, we've got two objectives. First, I want to talk about the latest edition of the ITA rankings, certainly a coaches poll coming out each and every week. Now we always love to offer our responses to that. Of course, we also then have to offer our thoughts on number one, Florida, who we've already seen play this season. And thus this college tennis contenders episode is going to be a bit different than the others. Of course, we have tangible thoughts, uh, tangible results of what does the lineup look like? What can we expect from this team moving forward? So we'll be able to offer you this episode with that added perspective. But before we get to the contenders, let's Let's talk about the latest iteration of the ITA coaches poll. Of course, again, I think these come out now every Wednesday here. You look at the latest edition of the coaches poll after knocking off TCU, uh, after knocking off, excuse me, Wake Forest 4-3 at home. Tennessee retains the number one spot, this time unanimously. All 12 votes go into the volunteers. They are your number one. Also, shout out to the ITA for adding the previous rank tab on those ranking polls moving forward so we can better track the movement. You look at it, Baylor still number two. Florida, now a definitive number three, despite losing to TCU. They've beaten Texas. They've beaten UCF. That's good enough for number three. TCU four, 
Buckeyes five, Virginia six, UGA seven, USC up to eight, Texas after their loss this weekend to Arizona down to number nine, Wake Forest holds at 10. Arizona, despite splitting one and one, Pepperdine, a loss, Texas victory, they're up to 12. You know, a little bit other corresponding movement as well as we see North Carolina drop down to 17. UCF drop down to number 20 as well. Pepperdine, a big jump on the week, 22 all the way up to 15. That's your big movers. Start with you, Maddie. Actually, I apologize, Maddie, but one of those rare times we got to go to the rankings experts. I'm going to start with you, Chris. I know we're going to talk about all those results on our weekly recap show and preview of the ITA kickoff, but just your response to the movement in this week's rankings. Not enough, honestly. I mean, first of all, the fact that Florida is not even tied, but now just ahead of TCU is still ridiculous. Uh, uh, and I mean, Pep- honestly, with with the nice win for Pepperdine, I probably would have even moved. I, you know, I may have moved them uh, a little higher. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I, I it's directionally correct. I there's no no big qualms. I, I would say with anything in there, just the same ones that I've had all along uh, there. But I think, you know, the, the five, five through 10 ish area is pretty darn solid. I think, you know, we kind of think maybe Arizona's uh, a little bit low, but then they get beat by Pepperdine. That was a great win for Pepperdine. Stanford definitely feels a little low, but you know, who knows? It's a, I'm not overly. And, and again, it's just the coaches poll. So, uh, you know, it's, no different than ours. It just gives people something to talk about. The only ones that really matter, the computer rankings when they start coming out. Very fair, Maddie. Yeah, I agree with Chris for the most part here. I don't really have any qualms about this. In fact, I, guys, I like this um, second iteration. iteration better than the first for sure. So I, I've actually noticed some improvements that I was happy to see. Of course, Florida and TCU. I agree with Chris on that. Like, come on, what are we what are we doing here uh, with with Florida ahead of TCU? Interesting to see Texas drop down to number nine. I mean, they're still in the top ten, and I know they lost um, that match. So you know, I, I think they'll find their way back up there. Stanford a little low for my taste, but again, they're moving in the right direction. And some of these other schools like Arizona um, are moving up, which is good to see. And then, you know, UCF drops down. I I think they were, they were a little too high in that first iteration of the rankings. And now they're down a little bit more um, where I think they belong. Pepperdine's the big one though. And and you brought this up, Gruskin. I think Pepperdine very deserving of their top 15 ranking. I would have them in there as well. And kind of like Chris said, Shoot. I mean, I think they could be even higher than 15. I think you could easily make an argument for that. But again, they're moving in the right direction. So everything looks pretty good to me. To that point, and it brings out the outlier, and I love you, Brett. But how is USC 8? Like 6-1 against UC Davis. And meanwhile, Pepperdine, Arizona, Texas. Like, I get it. They're all lower than USC. But have you seen anything from USC to keep them up there, Maddie? But USC was nine in the last week's ranking. So all they did, Texas moved down, right, true, to nine, and, and USC moves up. Well, this I gets get to it. Chris's idea of directionally correct. Like, directionally, all the moves they made made sense. I guess it's right. still the uh, the fundamental, like, press it, uh, pre, you know, the... The, uh, the, the order's not correct. Or the, yeah, uh, the, yeah, exactly. The order isn't correct, but directionally, they're moving teams in the right, in the right direction. So... Mm-hmm. Fair. No, preface, by the way, was the word I was looking for. Here's the only other thing I would throw out here about this, because then I want to talk about Florida, because it's going to be a shorter edition of the show today. North Carolina, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, UCF, 
Mississippi State. Those are five host schools this weekend at the ITA kickoff weekend, all of them outside the top 16 right now. I get logistically, you want to have this draft as soon as possible so that everyone can plan what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. But five of them, five of them, like, what are we doing here, Chris? Well, first of all, I mean, I wouldn't lay money that it happens to all five, but there's a very good chance that all five lose. Yeah, I no. mean, I mean, I, I've only I've only picked one of the five to hold serve, and you guys both picked them to lose. I think you guys both took all five of them to lose. So, so yeah, I mean, it's it's deserved. And again, this is just the you know it's the byproduct of kickoff weekend going off of last year's rankings, and you've got teams like North Carolina who, you know, who lose a big part of, of their lineup, uh, you know, and the same thing with Texas A&M, same thing with UCF. I mean, anytime you have that happen and you base it off the previous year, that that's what happens. And then on top of it, when they have the draft, everybody knows that's what's going to happen. So they all pick on them early. So they get the best schools in their region and they're almost doomed before you even start. Yeah. It's just, would you, when would you hold the kickoff draft? Ideally. Well, it's fine not the, it is. I'm fine with when they hold the draft because it's not that I don't think that, you know, substantially there's not going to be a big difference between whether you do that in June or whether you did it in December, right before the season started. For the most part, you know who's coming. You, you know, there might be some late additions that you don't know about, but you know who's already gone. The seniors that are gone for sure, the guys that might go pro. It's not that. It's if you were going to make a change, I think it's the fact that the change would be hey, don't just give it to the top 15 teams from last year because they're not the same teams anymore. But I don't see that happening and it's tradition and I'm okay. I'm okay with that. It, it always, you know, it gives the school that's now the underdog at home to a, a shot. Fair. Maddie, you have some other final thoughts. I was going to say, last word will go to you. UCLA 23, Harvard sticks at number 24, down from number 20. Illinois stays top 25. Obviously, we didn't see their best lineup against Ohio State. You know, Columbia, Cornell, NC State, some other schools on the fringes right now. Final thoughts on the rankings, this kickoff weekend conundrum to you. Yeah, no, I think the rest of the rankings are fine. Again, I, I don't really have too much more to say on that. Um, as far as the kickoff weekend, Chris, I do think I wouldn't mind to see it maybe pushed a little bit back, like instead of June, like, I don't know if it was in August or something like before everybody gets back on campus in the fall. I mean, I, I really don't think it matters, you know, at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal, but I, I wouldn't mind to see it push back just a little bit, um, you know, just because things happen over the summer and, you know, you, you never really know what's going to happen, but um, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's all I got. Yeah, I like it. All right. Well, then with that in mind, let's get here to do what we came to do. And that's, of course, talk about our Cracked Rackets preseason number one team entering the 2022 college tennis season, the defending national champion, University of Florida Gators. Of course, the Gators, when we talk about a 2021 recap, they were exactly that. They were national champions. And this is the culmination of a three-year run that starts in 2019 or, you know, when you have Oliver Crawford and Sam Riffis on campus, Alfredo Perez and Clint Kessler and just, you know, Johannes Inglitson, that team makes this semifinals run an undefeated gauntlet uh, in uh, through the SEC regular season. They get tripped up in the SEC tournament, but come back strong, make the semifinals before getting knocked out surprisingly by the eventual national champs in Texas. 
Then, of course, 2020, they're your preseason number one. We joked about it all the time. Congratulations, Wisconsin. You guys get earned the right to play Florida in the in that national indoors round number one. And then, you know, they lose Texas to start the season and they don't have the best national indoors. And then last year, start of last season, they lose to Texas again on the kickoff weekend. And, you know, then everything breaks right for the Gators just about after that 26 and two 2021 regular season. They, you know, dropped that maybe the best tennis match we've seen in the past five years in that Florida, Tennessee SEC championship. It's certainly up there. And, you know, they use that as motivation. One of the most impressive runs I've ever seen at the NCAA tournament, just dominant on the way to the NCAA championship, whether it be, you know, for them. And yeah, there were some late night thrillers and we were fortunate enough to get to be there to watch it all. But when you look at what this team was able to do, you know, 4-0 over Illinois, 4-1 over A&M, 4-0 over Texas, 4-1 over Baylor. Yeah, it was closer than those scorelines indicate in all of those matches. But Maddie, this team got it done down the home stretch. And here's the key part. Riffis, Vale, Andrade. Shelton, Goodger, Greif, they're all, Grant, I guess. Everyone's back, Maddie. Everyone's back. Yep. We can just start right there. That's why they're preseason number one, right? A hundred percent. There's no doubt about it. On paper, this team, it, you look last year, they win the title and you look this year and go, well, shoot, why they should be able to do it again. They didn't really lose anybody of significance other than Blaze Bicknell in singles. And then Ingoldson, you know, you could say in doubles was kind of, you know, in their doubles lineup. But I think, you know, with the addition of Matthias Seymour, they actually improve in, in, in doubles there. So, yeah, no, last year was crazy, though. Right, guys, because. Florida loses two matches, right? They go 26 and two, I believe. And one of those losses was that kickoff weekend. So we don't even see this team play at the national indoors. Gruskin, you were there calling it no Florida, right? Then they go through the SEC. They didn't make the final eight. Didn't. Yeah, they didn't make it. And then they go through the entire conference schedule and they run the table, right? All of their SEC matches, they don't lose. So they go like 12 and 0 or whatever it is in the conference. But then again, they don't win that SEC tournament. They dropped that match to Tennessee, which I think was a little bit of a surprise. Um, so they don't play national indoors. They don't win the SEC tournament, but you know what? <laughs> they win the national championship, and I think that's all that matters. They'll take that every single day of the week. They didn't lose a singles a singles match in that tournament, guys. I mean, it was, it was really an incredible run, and, and they would lose doubles points, and it was like, oh, who cares? Don't care. We're going to win four singles no matter what. I mean, it was very impressive. Um, you know, and I will say <laughs> they did have a little bit of a benefit of a, a home crowd advantage, you know, playing in Orlando. I think I think that was quite helpful. You guys would agree with that. If it was more of a neutral site, who knows what would have happened. But I mean, all credit to the Gators. They earned it and it was a hell of a season. Well, for a team that has in the biggest moments over those last three years, to your point and to what I mentioned, fallen a bit short, right? It, yeah. SEC championships, those pressure matches against Tennessee that they lose, or, you know, again, NCAA semifinals against Florida, uh, against Texas, kickoff weekend against Texas, they lose that match. You could see the calluses built up amongst this nucleus from those experiences throughout the NCAA tournament, whether it was, you know, again, and we're all there, that Texas A&M match, Chris, were they, there was a... Tw- 20 minute stretch, 10, 15 minute stretch where it felt like, oh my God, 
Florida might lose. Like Vashro might take this at one and, you know, Habib might take this at two. And, you know, Aguilar has flipped the script on Andrade at three. And, you know, again, even in Texas always makes a Texas push. I thought that one was particularly good, but Baylor wins the doubles point three first sets. And like, yes, you're right. Hostile crowd, home crowd, undeniably gave the Gators a lift. But all of these guys to a T, whether it was Riffis, Chris, who goes on to win the NCAA championship or, you know, Duarte Valle, who quietly might have been the MVP of this roster last season. You look for Valle to step into that number one position, you know, deliver a 17 and six performance and allow Riffis to move down a spot. And, you know, again, Andrade moves down a spot. Obviously, what this team does at four and six, you know, Bicknell, 23 and 0 during the uh, during the 2021 season. And, you know, Goodyear, 16 and 0. During the 2021 season, they obviously had the depth, but I mean, just what were your reflections as you look back on this team, a team I know, you know, extraordinarily well. Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it's everything we said during the during the year really is, is I mean, if you can't, if you're going to win every single time at four and six, I mean, we talk about locks. I mean, those were truly locks. They didn't lose a match. You know, Bicknell was undefeated at four, Gujar undefeated at six, and then you're playing you know, Riffis and Valle and Andrade at one through three and Shelton at five, who we all, you know, that that's probably the one that we didn't really know necessarily then how underrated he was going to be and how good he's gotten just in the last year made the big jump. In hindsight, it was going to be almost impossible. I mean, even taking the doubles point, it was going to be very hard to beat him. And Baylor came as close as anybody could. Like Maddie said, you know, they took, they took first the, three first sets and they had the, you know, without the crowd there, you never know. But, but yeah, that, that singles lineup, as Maddie said, did not drop a single point in singles, the entire NCAA tournament. That's like, you know, I, I can't even say how hard that is. I, That's I, stupid. I think, yeah. I know we, we tried to look, I don't know if we ever confirmed. I think the last time maybe that I would have think that might've happened was, you Stanford, know, the Stanford 98. Yeah. Yeah. Stanford 98. Right. With the the four guys trading position, trading number yeah. one. Because I can spot, tell you right? this, Stevie's teams never did it. Even the 2012 team, which is arguably the best team ever. When you look at it from a pro result standpoint, that Carose was playing six like UCLA for them in the semifinals, Virginia for them in the finals. Florida yeah, went in the singles. Stanford women yeah, have probably done it, but that's it. Yeah, you're going to run into what by the time you get to this, no matter how good you are, you get to the semis and the finals of an NCAA tournament and you're going to run into another good team. And to not drop a singles match to anybody is just, I mean, just tells you how good that singles lineup was. And and in the end and in hindsight, right, it was it was just too good. Uh, and and to your point, the fact that they dropped that match to Texas and didn't even get to go to the indoors uh and and then the one conference tournament match, which was just obviously one of the best matches of the year for both the tennis and all the everything else that went on in terms of line calls and and that matches we thought were over and weren't and whatnot. It was, I mean, just an incredible year for them. Yeah. And so with that in mind, let's now turn the schedule and the script towards 2022, because, again, we talked about how good the singles lineup was down the home stretch. Well, Vale, Riffis, they're back. One year more experienced. Now, Riffis was injured this fall, still coming off of that injury. And I mean, look, we've seen right away in the lineup, the, the biggest difference, Ben Shelton. And for those who aren't aware, Ben Shelton wins a futures title over the course of the offseason. He finals Kalamazoo was, you know, 
very, very close to beating Botik van der Sinskulp, who goes on to make the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open in qualies and wins the doubles at Kalamazoo, I should mention as well, and wins the ITA All-American Championship. And that's your number three singles player. And clearly there will be some rotating. Looks like Riffis right now sitting at one, Vale two for the indoors, you know, Shelton three. But they bring that top three back. Andrade, after going 17 and seven at the number three singles position last year, Sorry, buddy. You're down to four. You're in the Bicknell spot now where they were undefeated. And that's a big hole to fill. But that's what Andrade is now. Seymour comes in to fill the gap at five. And, you know, Shelton last year, 18 and four at five singles. They were 22 and four overall. Is there any reason Matthias Seymour, who's been top three and successfully top three at Michigan over the course of his career, can't fill a number five role? Absolutely not. And then again, remember undefeated Gujar? He's back at six. And, you know, future Max Cressy, Lucas Greif is still sitting on the bench and there's all these different options as well. And so, Maddie, when you look at the returning roster, you look at the newcomers. Again, this team got popped by TCU. Match number one. No ifs, ands or buts about it. But talk to me about this lineup, this roster, how it stacks up. Yeah. And, and Gruskin, you remember I said this last week, I, I'm not worried about that match. You know, that that early season loss indoors at TCU. I Look, I, I'm not worried about that. I, I actually came away from that going, you know what, Florida is probably going to win the national championship again. That's how I felt about it. And I do feel that way. I mean, in some ways, guys, I know when you lose a Blaze Bignell who didn't lose a match when he's gone, you think there's going to be a little bit of a drop-off. But Gruskin, to your point, you move Andy Andrade down with the improvement of Ben Shelton. Yes. Because Shelton's now, a better three this year than Andrade was last year on paper. Ex- exactly. And that's my point. So now you move Andrade down to four, and it's like, okay, is he going to go undefeated? Probably not. But he doesn't have to. He doesn't yeah. have to go undefeated. As long as he wins his matches, he'll be fine. I love the Seymour edition, guys. I really do. I always liked him at Michigan, and I just I feel like in doubles, we know how good of a doubles player he is. This Florida team had to improve in doubles. That was, I mean, if you look at it, singles didn't need any improvements. It was the doubles, and I think he helps, even if he's playing number three doubles, that depth in that doubles lineup, crucial. And then for him to play number five singles, I mean, come on. Like you said, Gruskin, he's played top three, top two, you know, even at times at Michigan. So I think he'll be, he'll be able to fill that role. On paper, guys, I'm just saying, this is the best team in the country, I think, on paper. There's really no question about it. Chris, you're our stats expert. Here's the numbers for you. Low-hanging fruit. They won over 84% of their matches at four of six singles flights. Even there's a bit of regression there. That's still elite. 19-7 and at three. Feels like they got better this season with Shelton, just in, or Vale, or Riffis, whomever it is. 17-6 at at one. You've got the defending NCAA champion at one. You feel like you can replicate that. If not, maybe do better. But here's the low-hanging fruit. 12 and four at four, 12 and 14, excuse me, under 500 at one doubles. 17 and nine at two. 17 and eight at three. When you look at the possible lineups, when you look at the new additions to the team, did they, and, and you, again, you look at the losses as well, and it is worth mentioning, Blaze Bicknell, unfreaking defeated last year, 23 and 0. At the number uh, number four, five, and six, didn't play doubles game. though. Didn't play doubles, which is key. You're right, and uh, but they and they bring in the Seymour edition as well. But I guess to you, Chris, again, mathematically from the percentage standpoint, and just you know looking at the additions, give me the blend. How did this roster get better this offseason? Like I think you could make a case it did. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's a loss losing Ingoldson from doubles, but Seymour is a great doubles player. 
And, and the fact that they've been able to play him at three doubles uh, by the time he gets, you know, a, a, a season to gel with who he's playing with the, you know, that's going to help a bunch. That's always been in the years where they've had these tremendous singles lineups. It's been the Achilles heel. They just aren't great doubles teams uh, that, you know, they're not, we look at, you know, their, their rival in the sec in Tennessee. And even though they've gotten off to a very rough start in doubles this year, we look at them, we go, Tennessee's got great doubles, Florida. And eh, I'll give, you know, you'll give Tennessee that advantage all day, but Florida, that singles lineup. Yes. They lose Bicknell, who was undefeated. But, but if you look at this lineup, I think all three of us, if we had to pick out and say in that singles lineup relative to their position, what's the weakest spot in that lineup. And I bet you all three of us say it's Andrade at four. You guys know my Andy Andrade yeah. wasn't going to play theory before Bicknell was transferred. Yeah. I thought so, for sure so, he wasn't but, play. that was blasphemous, Gruskin. That was blasphemy. <laughs> yeah, it was. But, a, it was a terrible take. But I agree with that, Chris. The fact that we're all going to agree that that's the weakest spot relative to the position in this lineup, and he's at four, and he went like what seventeen and seven at three last year. Yeah. Seventeen. Uh, I, I don't know how you beat him in singles if that's the case, right? Okay, I'll give you that it's not Bicknell. He's not going to go undefeated like Bicknell did at four. But, I mean, but you're getting Shelton now up at th- with a big step up. So you, the, the singles lineup, again, is just crazy good. They're, they have tremendous, tremendous depth. And I think it's going to be a lot like, like last year where we said, man, and it's kind of like we looked at the Baylor lineup. Baylor was super strong at four, five, six. Florida was super strong at four, five, six. And we said, if you're going to beat him, you're going to have to take advantage of the top three somehow. And I feel like that's the case with Florida. If you're going to beat them, you're probably going to need to win two of those top three single spots. And if you're going to do that, you better do it early in the year. Well, you bring that up. We saw that exact recipe unfold at TC. We saw some familiar ghosts rear their head towards this Florida team. They dropped the doubles point. You yeah. know, Fernley, Famba, John Maxted wins at one and two over still young teams of Riffish Shelton and Vale Shelby and, you know, Seymour Andrade. We then saw TCU get a win from Famba. Five and three indoors over Riffish certainly helps. And Aguilar, two and six over Shelton indoors. That's a shocker of a result. Um, and we've seen, you know, the switch Valet Shelton two, three, uh, I believe is what we're going to see for the national indoors. But I mean, to, to Chris's match calculus point there, Maddie, first of all, for you to say it's blasphemous and then say, but it also makes sense that we feel weakest about that spot. Doesn't that inherently not make it blasphemous, but great use of the word blasphemous. That's, that's why you're the best in the business. I was so I, happy. I know. I did really want to throw that in there more than anything. <laughs> That's why I said it. But no, look, here's why it's here's why it's still blasphemous because he's playing four, right? Like he's not playing six. He's not really on the outskirts of the lineup. Andy Andrade is firmly within the lineup. I just think when you look at all those spots, like Chris mentioned, you kind of have to go, well, I mean, if I got to pick somebody that I'm not, as comfortable with that would just happen to be the spot in this situation. But yeah, I look, man, and match calculus. I just, you have to win doubles, right? You beat Florida in double or um, no, no, no. For Florida to win, it's going to come down to, you know, they're probably not going to lose much at five and six. I mean, Seymour and Goodger at five and six are probably going to win almost all of their matches. I'm not saying they're going to go undefeated again, but you can't count on winning those spots. So if I'm Florida, I go, okay, 
five and six we've got. And then you're going to, I mean, you have such a good chance to win two out of those three. Chris said, if you're going to beat Florida, you have to win two out of those top three. That's a tall order. I mean, with Riffis, Vale, and Shelton, win, I mean, two out of three of those, I'm going to take Florida against almost anybody. So, you know, and that doesn't even include dubs. I mean, if they win dubs points, it should be a wrap. I mean, it should be over if they win a doubles point. There's no way they should be able to lose four singles matches. Yeah, and for now, again, teams still experimenting. I think Shelby, who got nine wins in doubles and had some success in the juniors as well in doubles and on the pro circuit prior to coming to Florida, I think he factors into the equation in that doubles lineup as well. And yep. I think it's been pretty clear, the lineups here, Vale, Shelton, Riffis, that pack of three at top, up top, and then, you know, uh, Andrade, Gujar, and um, I'm blanking C-Mar. here on it. And Seymour, thank you. Uh, he's been excommunicated from my brain. Uh, in between four through six, here's the interesting thing. And again, last two questions for you guys. I want to talk schedule. I want to talk predictions because we'll talk about this Florida team, I'm sure, plenty over the course of the next few days. Chris, this question goes to you first. They've got the kickoff weekend. They've got Florida State. They're playing Illinois, to, I believe, in Champaign to go see what the championship site is like, get accustomed to just traveling there, what that looks like. That's it, though, from a non-conference schedule. That's it for their competitive dates. How does that impact that uh, them at all from a seeding perspective, particularly given they lost that TCU match? Does that factor in at all? Are you concerned at all? And then again, lineup wise, do you think we see it set? Like, do you think these are the pairings? These are the pods? Or, and, you know, we'll continue to see shifts and doubles throughout the year? Yeah, I think we might see some. I, I think they're going to be pretty set on that on on the doubles there. I we might see some shifts in positions. Although I wouldn't be surprised if we got to see Will Grant play some doubles. I mean, he played last year. He, he's a good doubles player. Um, I'm not concerned about their schedule. I mean, they're going to make it. They're going to make it indoors. Yeah, neither one of those non-conference matches is going to do them a heck of a lot of uh, good in Florida State or, or Illinois, really. Um, but seating wise is almost irrelevant. I mean, you get to play, you're, you're, you're playing three matches, no matter what, if you win them all, you're playing four at indoors. Uh, and then, you know, they're going to be a top five team, you know, if not number one, come, come the end of the year. So I, I don't think, I don't think they really care. I mean, as long as you're top eight, you're hosting the super regional round and then it's off to the finals, you know, the NCAA championship site where nobody's, the home team. So it doesn't really matter at that point. Uh, and they'll be, yeah, they will be a top eight. They'll be hosting a super regional and then they'll be headed off to the quarterfinals at NCAAs. I love it. Well, then well, with that, no, I was going to say, Maddie, well, with that in mind, it's on us. Give me the picks, give me the predictions conference wise, national indoors, et cetera. How's this Florida team do? Yeah. And I was just going to say one quick thing on the schedule guys, when you play in the sec, you don't have to schedule that many non-conference matches. Right. You're playing a rugged schedule in the SEC. They have plenty of opportunity for ranking points. That's not a concern of mine whatsoever. I agree with Chris there. Um, you know, in terms of the in terms of how this is going to shake out, yeah. I mean, I think in the conference now, look, preseason guys, I I was leaning Tennessee. I was gonna pick the volunteers over Florida. But again, there, there's some things up in the air. We don't have to rehash all of that. I have now changed my predictions and I am going to pick Florida to win both the SEC tournament and, and the SEC and the national championship. I just think looking at this team on paper, and I know it's not one on paper, 
right? It's not. There's so many other factors, injuries, and and just whatever's going on. I just feel like overall, this is the best singles lineup in the country, and I think their doubles will be better this year than it was last year. That's scary for any other team because last year they weren't really very good at doubles at all. I do think we'll see improvements in that area, and if they win doubles points, good night. It's over. So I'm picking Florida to go all the way, win the SEC, win the national championship, and go back to back. I just I, At this point, I have to do it. I love it. Chris? Yeah, I'm I'm with Maddie. I mean, I've got them. I, I said they'd play Baylor in the final. I still think we see a rematch of Florida and Baylor in the final. The one thing I will say is it I wouldn't be totally shocked if they they should I think they win the, the SEC regular season. I wouldn't be totally shocked if they didn't win the conference tournament. And it's not for the reason that you might think in that I'm saying, oh, Tennessee is going to knock them off. The conference tournament this year is in Athens. Yeah. Okay. We've it, Georgia's a top 10 team, and yeah. that is a very, very, very hard place to play. I'm not going to pick that. I still think Florida wins, but is it inconceivable that Georgia wins that conference tournament on their home courts? No, that's not inconceivable. Uh, so, so that could be a very interesting development, but it's not going to matter. They're still going to be a top eight team and get to host, you know, get to host through the first round, three rounds of NCAAs. And, and then I, they run the table. All right. No, it's look, I, I mean, again, this team has the talent. This team has the pedigree. This team has won a championship. That's why they're our preseason number one, because when push comes to shove and the margins are going to be extraordinarily thin, who's been there before, who has that experience, this team, this nucleus, five out of the six were in the championship match last season. Can't duplicate, you know, fake that. I think this team wins the NCAAs. I do not think this team wins the indoors. I think it's going to be Tennessee or honestly, my sneaky pick. I might pick Virginia or even Ohio state. Like I'm really leaning towards Virginia or Ohio state. Uh, over anyone else. I think the Buckeyes look so good in Champaign. Oh my God, are they good? But then we get outdoors and we saw this team just hit another gear last season. And I think Coach Stump, Coach Shelton don't mind the early season loss to get the guys motivated and recenter the troops. And yeah, on paper, from an experience standpoint, just top to bottom, this team has it. We've seen this team win a national championship. Therefore, in a year of uncertainties, you go with the certainty. They're the preseason pick. And so, yeah. That's why, even despite the loss 4-3, Maddie said in after that loss, I actually feel better about this team. It wasn't out, yeah. it wasn't outlandish. Like that wasn't a ridiculous take. It wasn't blasphemous, dare I say. And so, as always, Florida preseason number one in our crack rackets poll. But of course, we'll have more results to finally discuss moving forward. Now it's all 2022 fresh content moving forward. Every week, Tuesdays, Thursdays, women's, men's recap podcast. Those shows live on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. In fact, Matt, Chris, and I are about to record our first live show here momentarily. That's why we're cutting this one a little bit short for all of you who are listening at home. And, you know, speaking of which, you got to hear his voice. Shout out, as always, to Super Producer Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Sincerely, best in the business. Really excited for what he's done uh, from a production standpoint for our live show. So we hope you all join us each and every week. Again, we've got ITA kickoff weekend coverage this weekend on our YouTube channel. Hope you'll follow along with us Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We'll be on the call following all of the action happening across the country. Uh, with all that said, though, for my fantastic co-host and the two other members of the College Tennis Holy Trinity, I could not 
have done this college contender series without Maddie, Chris, immensely grateful as always for your contributions. Thank you so much for the two of them, for our super producer, Danny Westoff, and for all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, hey. great shot. Great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thank you as always, fellas. Thank you.